Boy, does that sound good. And you want to know what that was? That was a protest demonstration recorded in the city of Hama in Syria in July of 2011. You can find it online. You can find it on YouTube. 
under just Google Syrian revolutionary Debka. Debka is the uh, traditional Arabic music and dance form. And boy, are they rocking. And every time I listen to that, I ask myself, you know, how come at our protest demonstrations here in the United States, our chants never sound that good? And inevitably, my answer is because that is what an authentic revolution sounds like. So what were they, uh, what were they chanting back there in Hama, Syria, in their revolutionary Debka in July of 2011? Uh, the um, subtitles inform us that the Arabic translates thusly, your legitimacy is ended. Get out, Bashar, a reference to the dictator Bashar Assad. Bashar, you're a liar. To hell with you and your words. Freedom is at the door. Time to leave, Bashar. Get out, Bashar. Maher, you are a coward. You're an agent of the United States, which is a reference to uh, Maher al-Assad, who is um, the dictator's brother and the second most powerful man in Syria and the, uh, the leader of the Revolutionary Guards. To continue, the Syrians won't be humiliated. Get out, Bashar. We will remove Bashar with our strength. Syria wants freedom. So those are the words and the sounds of an authentic revolution. And uh, unfortunately, there is a great deal of denialism about this here among the uh, uh, voices on the left in the West. The voices were supposedly, or I used to thought, actually supported revolution around the world, which now appear to be on the side of reaction and fascism. I'll have more to say about this, but first, you know, I want to uh, once again just go over some of the uh, the of, of the the horrific events which have transpired in Syria since those those hopeful and joyous days in 2011 when the revolution was just getting started. First, the nature of the Assad regime, an hereditary family dictatorship. Bashar Assad inherited the regime from his father, Hafez Assad, who took power in a military coup d'etat in, I believe it was 1971. So we're talking about a hereditary family dictatorship akin to that of the Somozas in Nicaragua or that of the Davaliers in Haiti. And once again, the revolution began in, um, in March of 2011 in the city of Dera, where spontaneously local school children started painting on a wall in that city uh, the uh, slogan of the Arab Revolution, which was then had already brought down uh, dictatorships in um, Tunisia and in, and in Egypt and was spreading throughout the Arab world. That slogan being, the people demand the downfall of the regime. And for this, they were arrested and roughed up by the police. School children. And this is what um, sparked the wave of protest which followed in the subsequent weeks when um, uh, people peacefully took to the streets with very much a, um, a secularist 
and a multicultural vision for the future of Syria, calling for a democratic tradition, peacefully protesting, something which I'm sure almost all of my listeners have done many, many times here in the United States. But um, they were met with bullets over and over and over again. These peaceful protests demanding a democratic transition were serially massacred by the uh, Assad regime's security forces. And it was only then, after this had been going on for months, that the opposition began to arm, to defend themselves, and were joined by uh, defecting members of the security forces and formed the Free Syrian Army. And then the regime escalated to what now I think we can safely call genocide with massive bombardment of areas of the country which had been seized by the opposition, eventually escalating to the use of poison gas. Again, serially, up to 30 times using poison gas. This is according to the investigations of the United Nations. And finally, escalating to uh, what the United... what the United Nations Commission on Human Rights has called a systematic extermination of the disloyal elements of the populace in the areas which are still under regime control, with anybody who was suspected of sympathizing with the rebels being arrested, disappeared, and put to death in the regime's prisons. And as all of this happened, as all of this was happening over the years... The world essentially did nothing. And only then did jihadists begin to exploit the situation, begin to take advantage of the chaos. Groups like ISIS and the Nusra Front began to establish their own zones of control and basically told many Syrians, look, you've been betrayed by the outside world. Your revolutionary movement is being, is being exterminated and nobody is helping you will help you. And using this kind of tactic, the jihadists began to gain a certain foothold of support among the population. But I should point out that never, at no point, did the opposition forces become uniformly or monolithically jihadist. There continues to be uh, the more um, secularist elements of the Free Syrian Army, including the Southern Front, which now controls the province or most of the province of Dera in the south, the Southern Front of the Free Syrian Army, secular nationalist in their politics, not jihadist. They've actually been fighting the Nusra Front. And in fact, it was rebel factions which drove, the, which drove ISIS out of, um, out of Aleppo before the city was virtually destroyed by Assad regime bombardment. On top of this, even apart from uh, the more secular-minded armed factions, of the, of the Free Syrian Army, the civil, unarmed, grassroots democratic forces which launched the revolution way back in March of 2011 continue to exist in the local coordination councils, as they're called, the LCCs, people putting in place um, a, a council-based grassroots model of democratic self-governance. And uh, in many places in the country where all other authority is now collapsed, it is the LCCs which are actually in 
effective control and have uh, formed their own autonomous councils in, um, in towns and municipalities in, uh, in areas of the country where, where uh, the government has, has lost control, particularly now in, um, in Idlib province in the north, one of the very last areas of the country which is still controlled by the opposition, now that um, uh, thanks to the massive Russian intervention, the Assad regime has managed to reconquer most of the country. Uh, even there, you hear about the uh, you know the jihadist militias in um, in Idlib, and indeed there are many reactionary jihadist militias which are active in Idlib. But the local coordination committees are also active and are also in effective towns, uh, in, in effective control of many towns across Idlib. And in fact, the this civil unarmed democratic opposition movement has actually held local uprisings in several towns in Idlib province over the uh, the past weeks and months where they have driven out the jihadist forces. Just like back in 2011, 2012, they held local uprisings and they drove out the Assad forces. Now they're doing the same thing with the jihadist forces. So the secular, pro-democratic, grassroots, unarmed civil opposition continues to exist in spite of everything. And it should also be noted that this movement, the Syrian revolutionary movement, was utterly opposed from the very beginning to any kind of outside imperialist intervention. And it was only after that, uh, you know, um, Assad called in Putin and intensified his massive bombardment of the country, of the opposition-controlled areas of the country, to the point that whole cities were virtually destroyed like Aleppo. It was only then, after years of this, that many Syrians who were under this savage bombardment became eager for the United States or any other outside power to destroy some of the warplanes that are raining death down on them every day. And this is the context which is overwhelmingly overlooked by the poorly named anti-war voices in the U.S., which are repeating practically in unison that the revolution was foreign fomented, that it is dominated by jihadists, and that it was part of some kind of imperialist regime change conspiracy from the start. And we have to be very careful about this word regime change because it has become entirely associated with the, uh, the neocons in Washington and with the Iraq invasion of 2003. And uh, <clears throat> it's, you, know, you say regime change and immediately it's assumed that you're talking about some kind of you know, foreign-inspired Washington Beltway conspiracy. Whereas the slogan of the Arab Revolution from Tunisia to Egypt to Libya to Yemen to Bahrain to Syria, a grassroots, self-organized, spontaneous upsurge from below. The ubiquitous slogan of that international movement was the people want the downfall of the regime. So regime change, quote unquote, 
in the context of Syria is not any kind of, you know, outside foreign-imposed imperialist conspiracy. It is the just demand of the Syrian people that they have been fighting and struggling and dying for since March of 2011. And the denial of this reality by the poorly named anti-war forces in the West and the poorly named leftist elements in the West is an abject betrayal of human solidarity. And it is ultimately racist in its assumption that Arabs cannot organize a revolution on their own without outside tutelage and that they can bloody well suffer under a genocidal dictatorship. And I just want to note that this past week, April 26th, marked the 81st anniversary of the 1937 bombardment of Guernica, the town in northern Spain, which um, was massively destroyed by the Nazi Luftwaffe in an attempt to, um, in the midst of the Spanish Civil War, in an attempt to terrorize into submission an anti-fascist struggle and to consolidate the the dictatorship of Generalissimo Francisco Franco. And this shocked the world. It was one of the first times in history that massive aerial terror was seen on this scale, and it shocked the world. And then the left-wing forces around the planet were uniformly on the side of the people who were under bombardment, uniformly on the side of the people who were fighting against the consolidation of a fascist dictatorship in Spain, and uniformly on the side of the people who were against massive foreign military intervention in Spain and aerial bombardment of Spain. And today, when we contrast it, With the position of the left on Syria, I just feel like we're through the looking glass. Where overwhelmingly, the so-called leftist and anti-war forces in the West are on the side of the massive aerial bombardment. On the side of the fascist dictator who is trying to reimpose his rule throughout the country. On the side of the massive foreign intervention with, 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 um, overwhelming air power. Vladimir Putin, in this case, and the Russian Air Force. The responses to what we've seen since the Duma chemical attack of early April by the so-called anti-war forces in the left have been absolutely disgraceful, shameful in the extreme. Now, just looking at, uh, you know, the talking points which I am getting from, first of all, half my Facebook friends, and second of all, from, you know, actual commentators who have far more of a following than I can ever aspire to have, such as Jimmy Dore in his his videos, uh, hearing the same thing over and over again. First, they're going all the way back to 2013 and dredging up some comments from Carla Del Ponte who was um, one of the lead prosecutors, the lead prosecutor in the International Criminal Court, way back in 2013, after a chemical attack in Syria, not even the big chemical attack at Gouda 
in that year, which prompted Obama to briefly threaten airstrikes in retaliation. But one of the earlier ones that year, one of the upwards of 30 chemical attacks which had taken place over the course of the, of the Syrian civil war, documented by the United Nations, apparently Carla Del Ponte, in response to one of those chemical attacks way back in 2013, speculated that it had been carried out by the rebels rather than the regime. And these comments are being jumped on by people like Jimmy Dore and the so-called anti-war echo chamber on Facebook being jumped on as, uh, you know, see, see there, all these chemical attacks are being carried out by the, are being carried out by the rebels. Now, this is utterly dishonest. We, this was, you know, offhand comments, which Carla Del Pont made way back in 2013, five years ago, about one chemical attack out of more than 30, which have taken place over the course of the Syri- of the Syrian civil war. She never, said anything to that effect again. And in the intervening years since then, there has actually been an official com- investigation carried out by the United Nations after the, uh, the Khan Shikun attack of, um, of last April, April 2017. Not just Carla Del Ponte making some offhand comments, but an official investigation which handed in official findings that, in did, that, that did in fact find that the Khan Shikun chemical attack had been um, carried out by the Assad regime and found that there was evidence of upwards of 30 chemical attacks over the course of the Syrian civil war, overwhelmingly carried out by the Assad regime. So dredging up these comments from Carla Del Ponte from five years ago, and hoping that people aren't going to notice that she was talking about some chemical, about one chemical attack from 2013 in mere speculative comments, which she never revisited ever again. Hoping people aren't going to notice that context and think that you're talking about the most recent chemical attack at, at, at Duma is irresponsible and dishonest in the extreme. And it's, it's a real irony that the people who are uh, the quickest to say that um, we can't blame the Duma attack on Assad, in spite of all logic and all evidence, we can't blame the Duma attack on Assad without a thoroughgoing investigation, are the very people who will fail to protest when Russia blocks any investigation at the UN into the ongoing chemical attacks in Syria. That um, UN Verification Commission, which found that the Khan Shikun attack last year was carried out by the Assad regime, its, its, its mandate was not renewed last, uh, last uh, this would have been, I believe, October or November. Its mandate was not, re, was not re- renewed because Russia vetoed it at the Security Council. So there is no more UN Verification Commission to examine the, uh, the chemical attacks in Syria. So now, instead, it's the OPCW, the Organization for the Prevention of Chemical Warfare, which um, has been uh, called in to investigate the, uh, the Duma attack. And unlike the UN Verification Commission, the, UPC, the, U, the OPCW does not have a mandate to assign blame. Only 
to determine if, in fact, a chemical attack took place at Duma. So it has been Russia acting on behalf of the Bashar Assad regime, which every step of the way has blocked any kind of investigation into the chemical attacks in Syria. And the very people who are saying that we can't believe that Assad carried out the, uh, the chemical attacks without an investigation are the, are the same ones who remain silent over Russia blocking any investigation. If you follow the logic of the war, ever since the Assad regime began massacring peaceful protesters way back in the spring of 2011, his logic has been to terrify the population into submission. And that was the same logic which he used at Duma, where it was only after the chemical attack that the rebel defenders of Duma agreed to a so-called surrender deal and agreed to lay down arms and cede control of Duma to the, um, to the Assad regime and to its Russian allies and to get on buses and go to rebel-held Idlib. So the chemical attack at Duma achieved its aim, and it came after Duma had for weeks been bombed by the regime and by Russia with conventional weapons, and even also with chemical weapons, although smaller chemical attacks which failed to make headlines. So it is an incredible stretch of the imagination that this attack could have been carried out by anybody other than the Assad regime. So now the, uh, the OPCW was called in to investigate the attack at Duma. They were barred from gaining access to the site of the attack for nearly two weeks by the Russian and Assad troops, which are now in control of Duma. We can assume that they have been thusly barred to give Assad and the Russians time to clean up the evidence. But meanwhile, while the uh, investigators which have been mandated by the United Nations have been barred from gaining sight, the British journalist Robert Fisk gained access to the site. He was allowed by the Russians and the Assad regime. Unlike the OPCW team, he was actually allowed access to the site and dutifully did his job of interviewing a medic who admits he was not even on the scene at the time who expressed skepticism that the, uh, that the attack had happened or had been carried out by the rebels or had been carried out by the regime, implying that it had been carried out by the rebels. And people are sharing this as if it somehow vindicates their conspiracy theory that anybody other than the Assad regime carried out the Duma attack blind to the reality that this interview was being conducted in territory which was under the control of the Assad regime and the Russians with the populace terrified into submission. The mere fact that Robert Fisk was allowed access to the site while the OPCW investigators were barred is all the reason you need to suspect his so-called journalism. And if you ask, you know, actual progressive Syrians what they have to say about Robert Fisk, I urge you to uh, 
see what Yassin Alhaj Saleh has to say about Robert Fisk. Yassin Alhaj Saleh is a left-wing socialist opponent of the Assad regime who spent 16 years as a political prisoner in Syria. Now, this is somebody who speaks with moral authority. And he considers Robert Fisk to be essentially a regime collaborator. You can Google it. He had a, um, a commentary in Aram Online, the Egyptian news website, entitled Syrian Writer, colon, Robert Fisk is indoctrinated by Syrian regime. He's interviewed by an Aram reporter saying that uh, he considers Robert Fisk to be essentially uh, echoing regime propaganda. I urge you to Google it. Syrian writer, colon, Robert Fisk is indoctrinated by Syrian regime. And yet people are continuing to cite Fisk's report from Duma as if it somehow vindicates the notion that anybody other than the Assad regime was behind the chemical attack. This is not intellectually serious. This is a denial of self-evident reality. This is an example of the so-called post-truth phenomenon. So, if there is going to be any kind of a consistent, single-standard anti-war position on Syria. It cannot be predicated on denial of reality. It has got to be predicated with looking at the actual situation unflinchingly with our eyes open. Now, you can argue that our first responsibility is to oppose Trump's airstrikes. And I agree. That is our first responsibility. Our first responsibility is to oppose airstrikes which are conducted by our government with our tax dollars in our name. But if you actually abet Putin's and Assad's airstrikes by echoing their propaganda, then that argument breaks down entirely. Then you become complicit with massive war crimes. And just because our first responsibility is to oppose the crimes which are carried out by our own government, that does not mean that we have to maintain a hermetic silence about war crimes which are carried out by Russia and by the Assad regime or by any other forces anywhere in the world. Our first responsibility is as human beings, not as citizens of the United States, as members of the global community, as inhabitants of planet Earth before citizens of the United States. And I'll add that if our first responsibility is to oppose Trump's airstrikes, then our first responsibility is to oppose Trump's airstrikes on human beings. And when Trump was massively bombarding Raqqa and Mosul for weeks and months before the airstrikes which were undertaken in response to the Duma chemical attack, when he was bombing civilians 
when he was bombing neighborhoods in cities which happened to be controlled by ISIS. The anti-war movement, or the anti-war forces, it isn't even really a movement anymore, the anti-war forces, the anti-war voices in the United States and in the West were silent. They had nothing to say about it at all. But when, in response to the Duma attack, Trump bombed some Syrian air bases and destroyed some warplanes and chemical warfare facilities and laboratories, then people hypocritically protest. So our first responsibility in opposing Trump's airstrikes is to oppose his airstrikes on human beings and not on regime warplanes. And finally, if you feel that you have to oppose Trump's airstrikes, even on regime warplanes and chemical warfare facilities, okay. I understand the arguments against these airstrikes. I understand the threat of inviting Russian retaliation, superpower confrontation, and things escalating globally, even to the unthinkable. I get all of that. But if you're going to oppose those airstrikes, find a way to do so that does not betray the Syrian people, and does not betray the Syrian revolution. The first responsibility of any serious anti-war position is to stand in solidarity with the Syrian revolution. And that's what we are doing in my group, Serious Solidarity New York City, every Friday in Union Square at 6 p.m. If you're in the New York metro area, please join us. Please come down and give us some encouragement. Or even if you're not sure that you want to join us. Come down, come, just come down and hear what we have to say and take our literature. Every Friday at 6 p.m. at the southern end of Union Square, facing 14th Street, we're going to be there, standing in solidarity with the Syrian people until this nightmare that they have been forced to endure is over. I hope to see some of you there. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon if you support this ultra-dissident voice. Join the resistance. Join the Counter Vortex. Rant on you next time.